Welcome to Everything Hurts. Uh, my name is Dan Quintana, and we're actually recording for the second time today, unfortunately. No, 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 no. Now, now, as a condition on bringing me back here, oh, you are to go immediately to your Slack, please, and read your, conf- <laughs> and read your confession to the nice people. Oh, to <laughs> make concern. I <laughs> and louder. <laughs> to whom a concern, I, Daniel Santiago, <laughs> uh, Quintana, protector of the meta-analysis, made a mistake today. After the completion of a successful podcast, my ability to control my own hardware and software-related circumstances led to the loss of the associated audio recordings. <laughs> I apologize for this lapse. My <laughs> brain appears to be operating at a pre-mammalian level, and it's a one- <laughs> its a wonder I can remember how to breathe today. As a consequence, this is a re-recording of the previous material, which will definitely lack a form of pizzazz, as my co-host is a goon, yeah, that's for sure, and a scoundrel, and is very easily bored. I... Promise it will be at least equivalent, equivalently enjoyable, and also promise not to lose any more recordings. Or James will travel to Norway and throw me in the cold, forbidding socialist ocean. Thank you for the, <laughs> thank you for your time, and may the Eldritch gods have mercy on my withered soul. So now that is out of the way. Good enough. Good now, enough. now that is out. He of- took he took out all the insulting stuff, but um, or you, I expect him to do that. He's he's saving you all from my worst instincts, Dan. You are a twerp. Yeah. I- at the at the the very least, the the nice thing about recording something that's about facts is that we still know them. So <laughs> yeah. The moment, the moment's only partially lost. Yeah, a, a, a little bit, but uh, you know these uh these technical things happen uh. <laughs> Happen now and now and again, but uh, let's uh, let, let's get into it. Yes, we probably should. Um, we today we're gonna um we're gonna cover. Uh, I'll put out my first uh, preprint out online on the on the interwebs. Um, now a, a preprint for for those that aren't aware. I think we've spoken about this before, but I'll quickly cover it. It's basically a version of a paper that precedes peer review in a, in a journal, and it's become uh, much more popular within the biomedical sciences um, within the past year or so. But it's been pretty huge within different areas like physics and uh, and, and mathematics. But we've just jumped on the train, so I, I think this is a, um, a really great thing to get involved in. And you've done one, two, maybe three preprints. Uh, I can't remember more than one. Less than all of them. Mm. There are. I, I, I feel strongly that there are some papers that will benefit tremendously, uh, and there are other papers where either people won't care, or the kind of the kind of attention to detail that it needs is not going to be achieved by people having a conceptual discussion about it. No one's going to go through and. The, the, there's a certain procedural thoroughness that you get with peer review proper mm. that doesn't really occur when you uh, when you publish preprints. As we, we we do compartmentalize these things differently in uh, mentally. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. No, it's so so. There's 
no one's no one's going to do anything even vaguely related to copy editing. They're not going to ask a lot of pointed questions about little things. They're not going to push back on certain elements of its accuracy. But mm. when you this is your paper here is an ideal opportunity to release a preprint that's useful because you're talking about large conceptual issues. You'd consider adding more analyses. And it's also crossing a number of domains where you're not 100% confident with everything that you could say about what you're talking about. Mm. You're not fully in command of all of the, you know, there's only there's only one Cohen. Yeah. Uh, and even if he wrote an HIV paper, he'd need, he'd need his own advice on it. So this is a really good paper to preprint because it's, uh, it's, yeah, there's, there's, there's broader issues involved and, you did that specifically so you could have technical discussions with people about the paper. Mm. So yeah. you're responsible when it comes to these things. You're just less good with podcast recordings. Yeah. <laughs> which is fine, which is fine. We all have to have skills. Yeah. Yeah. Um so for this uh for for this paper I was looking at uh well, it was on it was on heart rate variability or HRV, which is uh, a topic that we both work on. But this was more looking at some statistical aspects of HRV, which isn't just relevant for HRV, but I think it's relevant for well, the approach is relevant for, for all, all areas of science or particularly the biomedical sciences because it's looking at uh, looking at effect sizes. Now, we've, uh, we've mentioned before that uh, p-values are uh, essentially essentially useless, really. Like all, all, all they really tell you is whether there was a significant difference between groups, um, whereas effect sizes tell you the magnitude of those differences. Now, you can have an enormous sample size, like that Facebook study that was spoken about before, and find a significant p-value. However, when you actually look at the effect sizes, you figure out that the differences between groups are essentially nil. And that's the extra information that uh, effect sizes give us. So what you're saying is you, 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 if you combine the two measurements, you become absolutely certain that there is an extremely small difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, Which is essentially saying that it amounts to practically very little. Yeah, that's right. So if you were, if you were reasonably sure there was a large difference, it's a much more significant result even if the certainty is less. Yeah, and, and the good thing about effect sizes is uh, they're a common metric. So uh, a, a really low p-value in one study doesn't necessarily mean the difference or the significance is the same as the, as the same p-value in another study, whereas uh, an effect size of one in, means the same thing between studies. Well, one looking at Cohen's D, for instance. Cohen's, um, what's Cohen's D, Captain? I don't offer explanations. <laughs> Cohen's D is probably the most commonly used measure uh, of of effect size when you are actually. Con- when we recorded this before, I don't think we said what it is. What is Cohen's D? I'll say, but I don't want to get it wrong. Uh, actually, no, I don't. I don't care about getting it wrong. It's the difference between means divided by the pooled standard deviation. Yeah, so it's a, it's a standardized mean. The, oh, the other name for right. it is a standardized mean difference. <laughs> I could have uh, well, that could that could have been a disaster. Yeah. Um, you know, when one word goes trailing on something like that, and you mean something else completely, and you go, no, it's good. It's got absolutely nothing to do with eel husbandry, James. Shush. No one's interested in your crap opinion. But yes, please, please do continue. Now, with uh, with with Cohen's D, uh, this is often used uh, for when you when you're comparing groups, and uh, people like 
to it's also nice to say what these numbers really mean and there are these conventions that have been floating around since when cohen actually proposed uh effect sizes in cohen's d back in the 80s um, and these conventions are cohen's d of 0.2 is considered a small effect uh, 0.5 a medium effect and 0.8 a large effect now, when Cohen actually said this, uh, he really meant these numbers as a fallback because he said that uh, you should really be looking at the, um, the distribution of effect sizes or what you would expect within your field or for this experiment and use that as a way to interpret your effect sizes. But if you have no idea, no clue what you would expect, if this is a new area or a new population, for instance, then and only then you can fall back on these suggested guidelines. So he kind of mentioned that and said, yep, you know, if you have no idea, just do, do these things. But little did he know that uh, the book, the 88, I think it's possibly a reissue, the 88 or the, the 92 publication, I think it's one of the most highly cited things within the, the within psychology or oh, it's got to yeah. be, be up there. He's, um, he's... The, reason, the reason we are confused, Cohen died in 1998. The reason we're confused about whether or not he's still around is that the book continues to be reissued as late as last year, I think. Really? Okay. So I think there's a 2014 edition of... Uh, couldn't say which one it was. I think there's Statist- more than one publication. Statistical power. Uh, well, the perhaps, book, yeah. the book. Obviously, you can't update a journal article as much as some of us wish we could. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're still um most people um including ourselves our last HIV paper which was looking at uh, worry with uh with John Chalmers we did exactly the same thing we just said well this this is our difference between groups this is our Cohen's D and according to his guidelines. This is uh, this is what the effects, uh, or this is how we interpreted the effects. But you know, looking at how Cohen approaches it, and he goes, "Well, you should be looking at what's in your field." The thing is, we actually have hundreds of HIV studies which have been uh, which have been published. So we have things that we can fall back on um, to um, to actually figure out what the what the distribution or what we would, what we would expect. But no one has actually collated it until. Uh, until I had this uh, idea of okay, well, I don't have. I know there's got to be at least you know three to four hundred HIV case control studies where you're comparing a group, typically a. Now that's a specific thing. What's a case control study? Just quickly. Uh, it's when you're comparing uh, a case or a population in question, say uh, people with depression versus a control. People group. who lose podcasts. Hmm. People who lose podcasts versus people. Yeah, who yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. The, the, okay, the, yeah, I will. I will continue to. If you're going to ask, I will continue to harp on about that because it's still amusing me. Because now we are actually definitely recording. This. We are definitely recording this. Yeah. There you go. So I'm going to keep complaining about it because it's <laughs> amusing me. Um. So this is not. I've got to uh, draw a distinction here. Mm. This is not between within subjects comparisons. No. This is not. A, this is a completely. This is a separate issue. Yeah. The. The methods, uh, you take a similar approach, but this paper yes, just tackles course. case control. Right. Yep. Good. Important point. Yeah. yeah. Go. So we, we, I, I knew that, you know, it's probably a few, a couple of hundred of these, um, of these papers, um, you know, but it will take a huge amount of time to go through and to extract the effect sizes because these basically no papers really tend to report their effect sizes. So you have to calculate this based on the means, the standard deviations, or possibly the, uh, the p-values. But there have been 
a whole bunch of um, laudable researchers who have been um, putting together meta-analyses, really (laughs) working hard, putting together meta-analyses that are already uh, collating and calculating these effect sizes. So rather than actually going through the individual studies, what I did was I just did a search on meta-analyses in heart rate variability and found uh, 17 eligible meta-analyses that have been done. Um, so I think the earliest, I don't even remember the earliest one was, but there were 17 studies done. Um, and from there, I extracted the effect sizes and found uh, 300 or just under 300 effect sizes comparing a case and a control group. Mm. Uh, and then from there, I did and looked at the just uh, the distribution. So plotted a nice little histogram, which which you can see in the paper but also uh, calculated the percentiles, the, the 50th percentile of Cohen's D, the 25th percentile, and the 75th percentile. Now, the reason... That, now, yeah, so what do they correspond to? Yeah, so the reason that I chose this was um, this is... Uh, Cohen had uh, two, two criterion when it comes to what a medium effect size should be. Uh, originally, he said, well, this should be something that can be seen with the naked eye. It's kind of like, a, well, if we, we, we've looked at the differences, it, it's pretty clear um, that, there's, that there's a difference here. It's, it's a bit of kind of, you know, uh, very, very subjective. Um, I even actually plotted the distributions in, uh, in, in the paper. You can see in one of the figures what it actually looks like with these two differences here. But then later on, he kind of qualified this going, well, it looks like that um, when you look at different populations that this um, 50th percentile actually does almost always correspond to uh, to 0.5 or to, to a Cohen's D of 0.5. So, you know, this so is... So, Cohen's rule of thumb that he came up staring at his ceiling was accurate. Yeah, uh, and this was when he... I am, I am of the opinion that Cohen was a, a, a useful practical researcher who offered practical advice who was at the same time very intelligent. Yeah, yeah. I'm... I'm I'm a fan. I think that yeah, yeah, is a it's seminal for a reason. Yeah. There's plenty of stuff that's not seminal <laughs> uh, that is considered to be, as in I disagree with its centrality to the work that people do. But I don't think I've ever read any. Have you ever seen Colin say something you disagree with? No. No, me neither. It's um. Yeah, so in in '92, he actually, um, in a smaller paper, he actually came out to say, well, you know, it looks like this uh, 50% criterion actually fits very nicely observationally with 0.5. So, you know, that, mm. that's a good yardstick. So that's why I picked that. And the other reason I picked a 25 and 75 was that he said that a small effect size and a large effect size should be equidistant from this medium effect size. So that's naturally the 25th and the 75th uh, percentiles. So, looking at these 300 or so effect sizes, uh, because Cohen is a genius, um, it, the middle 50th percentile was 0.5. Exactly. That's so cheeky. It was, I, 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 read, I re-ran the numbers and it was 0.5. But looking at the, the low or the 25th and the 75th percentiles, for HRV at least, it looked to be uh, a, little bit, uh, a little bit higher. So, whereas, uh, whereas Cohen's recommendations, which he said from the very beginning weren't meant to be used as a blanket rule for a small effect size was 0.2, the, this actually corresponded to 0.25 within the uh, HRV effect sizes, and the large corresponded to 0.84. So, there looks to be... Um, the Cohen's uh, guidelines seem to underestimate both low and, um, 
and uh, and high. Yeah, not by much though. Come on. That that that's a little bit. But the thing is, point two five, point five, point eight eight. What was it? Uh yeah, uh, around about. But the thing is, when you're actually doing, <laughs> no, listen, yeah. no, it it this actually doesn't matter because. You, does it? It does because when you're running power analyses, now you run power analyses. You can either do a, a post hoc power analyses, which isn't really recommended, where you can uh, it's basically not at all recommended. it's basically a post mortem. So you, you do a post hoc power analysis to figure out how much power your study had, or you can do an a priori one to figure out what kind of sample size you need to achieve a. Um, yeah, but you just so you can you said that you can do it dishonest sort of not logically well, no, no, consistent no, it's, it's one not dishonest. you can do a real one yeah yeah what? but <laughs> no because you can look back and see what the power of particular studies were but the original intention of the power analyses is to do, do them a priori so you can figure out what kind of sample size you need to achieve a um a given power so but in, in order to do this one of the things you actually plug into a power analysis is the expected effect size so if you're expecting a large effect size or a small effect size or a medium effect size, you plug that Cohen's D in. Now, I actually ran the numbers to figure out what this means practically. So if you're if you're expecting a uh, if you're expecting a small effect size, so um, going with Cohen's, a 25th percentile effect size. Yep. Yeah. Um, if you're going right. with Cohen's recommendations for HRV, you need 393 participants per group. Oh, shit the bed. Hang yes. on. Wait, wait a sec, wait a sec. I've missed this as an implication so far. So to successfully propagate two cells of people that are being controlled on a, a measure like this, mm. to, to, to get a cell size where you have a reasonable certainty that you are observing a real effect at a low power, High you power. need... It's, sorry, what? Yeah, go on, go on. You need 393 per group. Per, so that's the cell size. Yeah. So if you had two groups at an absolute minimum, obviously a lot of the time there's more. There's different, uh, different categories of disorder or there's different severities of disorder or there's different time points or something else. Mm. You are pushing 800 participants for the whole thing. Now, case control studies are never that big. Other forms of study are, but case control studies are not. Typically not. Uh, I I would not know of any study which is a primary outcome came out to specifically measure HRV. You get these numbers occasionally where we collected, you know, like like those Finnish studies where they collected ECG from every army conscript since <laughs> since forever. You have these numbers there, so you get those type of numbers. But going back to these differences, it seems like the difference between 0.2 and 0.25 isn't much. But then, okay, so that number that I told you was for 0.2. So if we go by the true, well, the more true small effect size based on the effect size distribution that I calculated, this actually drops down to 250 per cell. Sorry, say that again? Okay. If you're doing the power analyses and you plug yeah. in 0.25 as your criterion for Cohen's D, yeah. you drop down from a from a previously required cell size of 393, you drop down to, to only 250. Well, it's a lot less than 393. So the, what you've what you've just 
what you said in like in a in a place where a normal cell size would I don't know a, a ballpark somewhere between thirty and eighty. Instead of needing a fictitious 390 that's not going to happen, you only need a fictitious 250 that's not going to happen. Well, that 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 changes a great deal. <laughs> no, but but but, but that that changes fuck all, Dan. Okay, There's, no one's going to get that many people. I mean, it's just a, like wildly, stunningly impractical to merely entirely impractical. Okay, well, it does make a difference when um, when you're looking at medium effect sizes. That didn't change, to be honest. But um, it, let, let, let's go with a Cohen's day of 0.5. Uh, 63 per cell. Okay. Okay. Now, let's go where you're expecting a large effect size. If you're going to go with the um, Cohen's recommended, then you are going to require 25. But if you go with the updated one, you're going to require 21 per cell. So mm. it doesn't seem like a huge... That could, that, no, that could potentially make a difference. And, you, you know, recruitment's hard. Mm, mm. You know, you've got a you've got an optimal stopping. Yeah. Um. So for two things, basically power analyses for planning, and um, it also makes an impact when it comes to the interpretation of effect size. What is a large? What is a small? And what is a medium? But the other reason that I published this was pre- purely to get people thinking, even in different fields. I have posted the script online. Oh. And people don't think. <laughs> no, but I've seen this. Kind, I've seen people um, do these enormous analyses for neuroimaging papers. They haven't done the effect size distributions, but they've done uh, a wide analysis of uh, basically a power analysis, and they found that um, I think um, neuroscience studies have a power of an average power of fourteen <laughs> percent. Ooh. HRV, uh, uh, yeah, 14, uh, 14%. That means that... Um, why that, even get out of bed? Yeah, so a, four, a power of 14% in practical terms means that um, there's a 75% chance if you were to replicate that, that it would not actually replicate. Oof. Not good. HRV does better, but not much better. The median power of HIV studies is 40%. So, it's... Um, but, okay. And what do we consider and what do we consider to be adequate? 80. But let's, 80, put, it, let's yeah. put it this way. If, that is our beta, yes? Yes. But if you are testing a, um, the, the mean, the median sample size in these 397 studies was 23 per cell. It seems, yeah, that's the, that's, now it seems small, but if you're testing populations where you would expect a large effect size, let's say heavily medicated person with schizophrenia versus healthy controls, that sample size is sufficient. That's enough to achieve a power of 80. I think anxious, uh, anxious uh, provocation with anxiety patients versus healthy controls. Yep. You, Um, yeah, right. Um, that that th- those things which kind of seem small, and the thing is, like I, I don't know, it's almost like an unwritten rule that within HRV, um, the minimum seems to pe- people have seemed to have landed on around twenty to thirty for minimum per cell, and it looks like for these, uh, do you, would you agree do you with that? What do you think? This is a yeah, it's something that's something. Look, people people are, are ask me why I'm dismissive of a lot of these results a lot of the time. It's because it's set up like a clinical study that's designed to have a jillion people in it. 
Yeah. And you're pretending that these measures that are approximations at best that have really serious questions built into the very core of what it is, what it represents. The things that the things that we the, the meta issues that we argue about all the time that I have to write long emails to people I respect about how to resolve them. The things that don't go away. Um, <laughs> when you when you when you you mash something up and you have a, a, a condition where you I, I think if we look at condition XYZ or emotion provocation ABC or something similar to that. Um, the, the autonomics will do the changes low and then you, you mash up two groups of 20 to 30 people. Look, I, I, if I have to review something like that, I get to the point where I, I don't know if my desire to hit the paper with a tire iron for being like maybe maybe misleading to the point of worthless in some cases or in other in other points just sort of I, I like the serious questions about at the very least the serious questions about whether that should be added to some kind of permanent record as being accurate. Hmm. It can be it can be that bad. Through to this is actively misleading in a huge pile of burning garbage. Um, whether or not I feel that needs to be said, or the frustration and boredom that happens when you have to review something that's terrible. It's um, so yeah. I'm in I'm in two minds when something like that turns up. So I think you've. Look, you've you've pointed out the central issue there really very strongly, and it, it does give me so. What, what what you're saying is, if you if we're using this particular method, if we have something where we uh, a central observation where we have a good reason to believe we'll see a proper effect, studies that people do now are adequate to achieve that. But if you're going to do that, you want to have a really solid justification of why you're starting in the first instance do you see hrv studies and studies more generally with other physiological measures where people say i'm going to take some measurements to look at the difference between some crazy bullshit and something else that we made up a while ago or something that's compelled by a grant or some broad idea that my grad student had or just some stuff and we're going to mash up our measurements with some stuff and hope it works you say that all the time when you read between the yeah. lines. Yeah, it's it's the, the 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 thing is is that there is a totally unwarranted there is a totally unwarranted sort of gravitas that you get in behavioral research when you start measuring things off people. Yeah. It, it, they can be as capricious and unreliable and completely without meaning as anything else. Now, I think, Especially um, when you've got multiple methods of analysis, multiple layers of analysis, when you've got a pathway that starts out with something and then hopefully turns all of this rather abstract data into something that's informative. It's, it's uh, really easy to make a total bollocks of that. I think really um, very, very easy. The um, like a few other things, um, the more clinical sciences have solved this to, to a degree, this problem. Because um, part of the um, the reporting guidelines, when you're reporting a clinical trial, most proper journals um, that are, tend to report these trials make you submit a checklist. And one of the things of this checklist was, how did you determine the sample size? And yeah. typically, your response will be, we ran a paranalysis based on these figures, and then this is the number that we came up with. 
and you have to justify why you actually did this. And people knowing they're going to have to do this eventually make 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 them actually do that. But any good institutional review board will also make you do the same thing. They will make you say, okay, why did you pick that sample size? And do you actually mm. expect an effect? And if you have a low sample size, they're going to go, well, this is... Um, this is uh, wasting the participants time and putting them under risk and if you're overpowered your study then you're also yep. potentially putting participants depending on your intervention potentially putting them yeah at risk yeah yeah but like if, it, if it's expensive to recruit participants no one overpowers the study no you why but what you, 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 <laughs> what you're saying is that yeah I, let's let's take extra time and money to do this difficult job we don't have to do that's overpowering a clinical study mm, you just wouldn't do but that it, it never it never happens unless you're getting data from a database that exists already it, 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 um, I think as, as well as a, that um, the the difference between sort of the in the look in the electrocardiology world when people started off with HRV and it worked, some of the initial observations were things like what happens to the twenty four hour recordings of post MI patients. Hmm. Myocardial infarction. That's yes. So that's a pretty good that's a pretty good way to deploy a simple measure of uh, an electrocardiographic variable oh it turns out these uh, people below this cutoff die a lot and people above this cutoff hardly die at all oh who knew it, it was a the the this the, some someone with a cardiac specific condition has a a, a, a metric <laughs> Like this, that, that could predict their survival. It, it's mechanistic and it's straightforward, mm. um, and it was very effective. Now, you you take that 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 is where it got established for sort of five to ten years, I suppose, quite a while ago. And like a lot of tools, like this, also with twenty four hour recordings. Yeah. Mm. So you've I mean you've got uh, night day differences, and you've got a twenty four hour uh, 24-hour SDNN measurements, and they don't even need to be complicated because you're saying, "Oh, how many five-minute periods do you have?" Well, we've got 12 per hour and 24 hours, so we have 288. Mm. Oh, what did you do with them? Well, we put all of them in, so you have 200 by the standards of a oh, sit in a chair and we'll take your heart rates as ha 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 ha. Um, yeah, they did that 288 times through activities of daily living. So we're not talking about one observation anymore. So when you have thousands of people who have 288 individual data points who have a specific cardiac condition, that seems like a really good use of a cardiac measurement. Hmm. Okay, so when you've got 24 people with a poorly defined behavioral condition sitting in a room where you're measuring them for five minutes each and hoping that there's some relevance of the autonomics, cross your fingers, clutch your lucky rabbit's foot, touch wood, it's utterly dissimilar. Mm. And Was the, that sufficiently angry? I didn't think I'd have any emotion uh, doing this the second time through, and I now just, found a completely different thing to complain about. Sorry? You've just, you've just thought about the problem more, and it is a huge problem. And, if, of course, it stands mm. to reason that the groups that you see the biggest effect sizes are are the ones which have the biggest cardiovascular problems, those with psychosis spectrum disorders, both as a they just have an underlying susceptibility to these to the so-called metabolic syndrome, um, but they're also taking these medications, which, um, uh, you know, it's like taking a, a sledgehammer 
to their uh, cardiovascular system. So that's where we see these enormous. I think the uh, the median effect size for uh, psychosis spectrum disorders is 0.7, which is um, almost hitting the. Yeah, uh, but uh, what are they? What are they taking? Oh, just uh, a whole bunch of antipsychotics. Um, but yeah. independent of that, you still find um, you know d- differences in HIV. And when you're looking yeah. at uh, first degree relatives without schizophrenia. I think of I think of antipsychotics as as like uh, imagine you've got a city and it's overrun with Germans and you go oh I know how to let I know how to get rid of them we'll let the Russian army in yeah well it, it's weighing up and the thing is they they, they, they get at, rid of the Germans but what's going to happen to your city no but the thing is <laughs> if uh, the the rates of survival and uh, quality of life on this is the general the general thought anyway on the antipsychotic is is better than off. So, yeah, you are causing some additional problems, but they do outweigh... Um, I didn't say it didn't work. It's saying you, what you're trying to say is Russians are useless. No. <laughs> That's obviously not the point, Dan, you racist. <laughs> Look... It's um it's it's a big issue all this all this metabolic stuff and that's why we have these really big effect sizes uh within that so you know it was really one I was genuinely curious because I always use Cohen's guidelines um and um two I, I wanted to see what the overall power was for HIV studies um but uh, I also thought well this is just an, an interesting test case if this mm-hmm. this was um uh you know with with, with code people can reproduce is they can they can go look at get meta-analyses from their own field pull out the effect sizes um and um enter them in the same sort of structure i did for my spreadsheet press a few buttons and you have this effect size distribution um and you can do the exact same thing handy mm. handy you've uh you've you've done us all a service haven't you well as long as you can do r then uh then you'll be fine if you can do uh yeah i um i tweeted uh, a few days ago an article about uh how lf or low frequency power doesn't uh doesn't represent the uh the sim- uh, sympathetic nervous system it's just something we've spoken about before um and then um yeah it, got, it, was, it was fairly popular a lot of people think this and then i got a tweet uh from from someone back to me going um yeah yeah i know this there was some um some 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 bloke ranting about it online I'm like, okay, and then he sends me a link, and of course, it's an article that you wrote in like <laughs> 2003. <laughs> what 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 article? Ah, uh, it was an iAthlete, I think. Oh, right. Okay, so that was for. Why are people reading? I remember that's a blog post I wrote for Simon. Uh, yeah, I I remember that. He said, yeah, because we 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 talked a lot when he was developing that hardware software combo, and he said, "Look, I've I've read all the papers, and uh, there's no point calculating low frequency power for what we want to do." So no, there's absolutely no point at all. It's horribly misleading, and it can't tell you anything that you want to know. Yeah, he said. He said, "Oh, okay, fair enough. Would you will you can you can you write that up for me so I can put it on my website?" I said, absolutely, yes, of course I can. I think he's telling me that people who people are reading the blog of a sports science company to make that determination why are they not reading all the research i think it was actually simon who pointed it out to me what's what's yeah ah there you go yeah it's all, it's all, it's all it's all coming together so yeah i wasn't sure whether he knew that we actually collaborated um but uh yeah i thought uh yeah i've i tried actually um while i've been 
while I've been indisposed in the last few months about the house being pulled apart in general, I tried to marshal all the individual pieces of evidence for why that won't work for some stuff that I'm working on. The problem with it is that there's two or three papers where they come up with a justification of why you could do that. And I'm up to maybe 40 that directly contradict it because basic physiology is what it is. Um, and I've got about eight separate review papers where it's mentioned somewhere in passing, but it's, it has absolutely no effect on people using and reporting the measure, which is pathetic. Convenience. It's a nice it's, story. Ah, oh, yeah, look, this is the, the whole idea of oh, post-publication review will take care of everything. Well, if an idea is rubbish and convenient, it can thrive. And the easiest way to get a rubbish idea into publication is to not have it reviewed before it's published. Mm. So that is dangerous. And then think of, think of the act of mopping up that you need to do. Say there's some, something that's published and it's dead wrong. And people think, oh, that's very useful. I can use that to make grand sweeping conclusions that will win me grants. And then they start using that particular idea. How do you go around and refute in the first year the 8, 10, 12 individual pieces of research that are sitting on this rotten brick in the wall? Well, you can obviously just review it beforehand and hit it with a stick and tell them why they're wrong is obviously there's problems with that approach as well. No, but, but the idea of just that is a central danger to the just shove everything out there perspective. Oh, I, I, I totally agree. But um, I've seen that um, the people that have developed that um, stat check app, which yeah. automatically check it, they've figured out a way to do a bot to go through all these papers and this bot is posting on the pub peer um, section of these papers saying this is an automated... Oh, so it's, it's doing things like it's posting on pub peer. It's, it's doing something like checking people's summary statistics and making sure it works. Yes. And they're saying, although this Ooh. is a bot um, and this has been shown to be wrong 5% of the time, um, this this is the gist of, of what I've read anyway, so I could be wrong. But, okay, so they've run it. They've run it on a big sample of things, and they've hand checked it. So no, it's right. Yeah, they, they, they've hand checked it on a sample. On a sample, yeah. And they now know they know that into the wild. And then they've just let this bot go, and then the bot. So is it, is it doing things like looking for say F and T values, comparing them to P values, and comparing them to degrees of freedom? Yeah. And making sure that analyses are correctly reported. Yeah. Because that shit is wrong all the time. It is it is embarrassing how often that's wrong. Yeah. So it's doing that, going through and posting, going, this is a thing. It's checked all these things. Um, according to the algorithm, it's detected some potential in- inconsistencies. We're not saying that the paper's wrong, but we're just saying that it's been detected. And then they have all these authors going, what, what the hell is this? Um, you know, this uh, you know, this has been corrected or this is actually wrong. So I don't know what to think about it. Um, it's good in the sense that you have this thing, this bot going around checking it, but then, you know, there's going to be some some circumstances where it picks up something wrong. Um, but yeah, I, I think uh, the 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 positives that way, the negatives. But there are a few. It's, yeah, look, it's, it's also. I mean, that's not a very hard question to ask. Do you recheck? Do you recheck numbers in reviews? 
Because I do that shit all the time. You get some thing, and you, it says, uh, we, we have a, an R squared of 0.14, and it has this associated p-value, and it means this thing. I have my calculators open and go, eh, that feels weird. If it feels weird, I'll check it. But uh, a lot well, of people... A lot of the time things feel weird, but, you know, it's... Uh... You don't you don't just sort of check those on reflex. I don't know. I've always done that. Uh, it just I, seems so. It just seems like the easiest thing you could possibly do. I only if something seems a bit odd will I actually do that and go through and check. Um, or if they're making these sweeping claims without effect size, I actually calculate the effect sizes myself. Going, you know what? I did I did your effect size, and it's 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 really small. So. You need, to, you need to calm down a bit with your conclusions. You calm down a bit, yeah. Burn your paper. Burn the throw paper. The ash, throw the ashes at your mother. <laughs> uh, and I know a few reviewers are now, um, any paper that comes across their desk, they're running stat check. So it automatically does it for them. And then stat check can go, well, this is inconsistent. Yeah. Oh. I wish we knew how to um I wish we knew how to make the grim test work like that. But it's it's harder because you can often not tell if something's a compound measure or similar can be difficult yeah i mean i'm I'm sure it's a problem that can be solved but it's just oh it can someone yeah it can be solved by someone who's a a better programmer than me but uh it's still i'm looking forward to people and that that is accepted for publication by the way hey congrats um can you can you share the uh the journal uh it's in spps nice so it's a relatively new journal. Well, I think their um, their editorial staff are excellent, and their ethos is excellent, and the review is comprehensive. Uh, they have a hard word limit, which always annoys me. In but you know, people want papers to be of a certain size. Well, I, un- I understand that it's just difficult to work around sometimes. I prefer the um the, the journals that have a word limit just on the intro and discussion, and no limits on the methods. And results, I think that's excellent. Yeah, look, if you've got a describe, I mean, this paper's got separate descriptions of what happened to individual scenarios in the methods. So there's an awful lot of text that goes in the middle. But you know, we've got to be comprehensive. We're yeah. trying to explain what happened without accusing people. While even though it's really simple, people are scared out of their minds by anything vaguely mathematical. As much <laughs> as this is, it's really straightforward. Yeah. Um, and uh, a guy uh, came up. Actually, with a a, a more, uh, it's exactly the same thing. It amounts to the same thing, but it's a simpler way of explaining how to calculate the um, the the values. And that was from, uh, but that that came out as a, as a result of preprint, though. Yes, of course. Yeah, excellent. Yeah, like um, how good are they? Yeah, it was uh, it was, a, it was an ideal paper to preprint. Um, it also means that you know. It goes into a marketplace of people who see it and it, it acquires value before it's reviewed. And people, oh, you know, because the preprints, um, the preprints, popular. Yeah, and they, they get, um, they get um, uh, Google Scholar picks them up. Yeah, which is good. Um, and the get... preprints already, the preprints already been cited. That's um, that's awesome. Yeah, it's been downloaded a thousand times just just in the last uh, week or so. A thousand times but, in the last uh, week. Wow. No, no, no! It's been downloaded a thousand times in total since the middle of May. Yeah, um, it's had six and a half thousand views, um, but it's also—I mean, it, it, it displays on the page. So it's not a matter of did people click through and get the study, as in a thousand people have saved it for later. 
six and a half thousand people have read it. Well, as in a thousand people were interested enough in the abstract to save it for later and, and possibly read it. But that's um that's really good and um, yeah, yeah it's, I, it's I just, pretty handy. Yeah. It's largely it's largely intact through publications. There were some good clarifications we chucked in and um uh some we didn't and it's very very close to the maximum word limit. But yeah, it's done. We can uh, when it, go, uh, it hasn't been copy edited or anything, it can go in the show notes at some point when it's finished. Finished. When it's up there. Uh, right, I've had enough of you. I've had <laughs> enough of effect sizes. Let's uh, let, let's wrap it up then. Thank you for listening. Oh, hang on. <laughs> I forgot we were recording. For you were recording. <laughs> we, we were recording. Thank you for listening. Uh, I've had enough of you. <sighs> so get out of here. Thank you for listening. Remember to contact us on Twitter. At, at Hertz Podcast on Facebook you can find us there give us episode ideas we'd love it when you do that and, yeah they're, uh, they're better than Dan's Dan's are always about his work oh just 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 this one <laughs> come on I had to do I had to do that at least once um, you're doing a you're doing an analysis that's built out of things like your own meta-analysis so you know well I told you I was going to do a meta-meta-analysis and I've done it I've, I've oh, finally done it alright well, I need to. Do, I could do a case study now on you and call it a meta. Net, net, yeah. <sighs> Let's go away now. Thanks for Goodbye. listening. Goodbye, everyone. Bye. We we appreciate your kind patronage. <laughs> I hope your week is excellent. Bye bye. Toodles.